0: I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity and lover of your souls. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The central religious text of rabbinic Judaism is the Talmud, written in the third century. It's the primary source of Jewish theology and law. And in Talmud, for instance, we learn... Not just that God created the Ten Commandments, but how. God wrote them down for Moses with fire. Talmud teaches that to create the background of the law, God used white fire. And to write the letters of the law, God used black fire on top of it. So this is why. A scroll of Jewish law is only accepted as legitimate if it has white spaces around every letter and at the edges of the page. If the white space is insufficient, the scroll is disqualified. This balance of white fire and black fire is a delicate process, and the right balance is required for the writing down of each genre of scripture. So, poetic portions of the Bible, like what we read today in the Psalms, require the most white space. Why? Well, because, Talmud says, the very soul of Scripture is in the white spaces. The soul of Scripture is in the white spaces. The more elegant and esoteric the words, the more space is needed to unfold the spiritual mysteries within them. The soul of anything is best understood in the unknowns, in the blank spaces between words, between our understanding. So poetry is formed in stanzas with more white spaces around around those words than prose. And when poetry is read aloud, for instance, in our own tradition, in our prayer book, we pause more frequently in the Psalms. We pause at the asterisk between the lines. White spaces, they show up not just in the written text but in that speech text, the spoken text too. Speech requires space between words so that we can understand, right? Pauses and breaths, longer breaths in between words that we are intended to meditate upon. Do any of you remember the Micro Machines man from the 80s? Anybody here? My brother was a huge fan of Micro Machines. Oh, I'm seeing some almost recognition. A little bit, a little bit. Okay. He was the really fast talking actor, uh, known for that rapid speech delivery. I would try to do it, but it would just be terrible. Um, the commercials were ridiculously hard to understand, and kids loved it because it was just kind of nonsense. Um, but it was because the guy spoke so quickly. There wasn't enough space between his words to grasp all that he was saying about those tiny cars. (laughs) Talmud tells us early on in Scripture that breath is really important for communication. In fact, it's one of the most powerful elements of all of God's creation. So let's go back to the beginning. You might be familiar with the words of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But how often do we forget that first part of creation, right? Genesis focuses so much on the world being created that we kind of skip over the first bit about the creation of heaven. God created the heavens and the earth. Though heaven was created first, we don't get much of a story. We don't get much as as to the hows or the what's of its creation in Genesis. Heaven is one of religion's most esoteric concepts. It needs a lot of white space to comprehend. So the Bible uses poetry to help us uncover this mystery of heaven's creation in today's psalm. And I quote, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, by the breath of his mouth all the heavenly hosts. That's what the black text on the white page of your bulletin reads today. And these are the three words from today's psalm I want us to focus on, word and breath and heavens. So first, word. This one's easy. Hebrew, in Hebrew, the word word is translated, can also be translated as speech, okay? And this is important because speech is the broader translation, right? A word is something that is spoken or written, but speech includes the white spaces between the words. It includes the breath. So I think the better translation here for what follows is, by the speech of the Lord were the heavens made. And this leads us to the second word, breath. By the speech of the Lord were the heavens made, by the breath of his mouth, all the heavenly hosts. Now, according to Talmud, the psalmist is not telling us that God creates the heavens with a word. That's relegated for the earth but rather God creates the heavens with the part of speech that comes before a word, the breath of the mouth. This refers to the guttural letters of the Hebrew language. There are five of them. Aleph, Chet, Chet, Ayin, and Chesh. So, what's a guttural? (laughs) Well, have you ever been in conversation with someone? And as you're monologuing along about this or that, you have this sense that the other person wants to say something, even though they've not yet spoken a word, and you pause to listen. Maybe you say, oh, were you about to say something? You might think of this moment as a moment of intuition or you were reading body language, but it's likely that you picked up on the almost imperceptible sound of the jaw and throat muscles preparing for speech which sometimes sounds like a tiny ah. The guttural letters all begin with a breath like this. That's what the psalmist is referring to with the phrase, by the breath of God's mouth, the heavens were made. See, the, the word in Hebrew that we translate as heaven begins with the guttural letter, che. Chashamayim. And heaven was created with God's ha. And breath in Hebrew is also the same word for spirit. So this moment, this pause, before God spoke the world into creation, the sound of God's spiritual throat muscles working to speak was the moment spirit first left God and went anywhere else. Therefore, Talmud tells us that when heaven was created, so therefore was the soul. The imperceptible sound that created the heavens and soul is that spirit that Genesis tells us was hovering over the waters of chaos right before God says, Let there be, and creates the world. This spirit, this breath of God, would then one day make its way from the waters of chaos into the dirt lungs of Adam and Eve and you and me. I think that's so cool. the breath that fills your lungs this morning comes from the mouth of God before the dawning of creation. And this legend, and others like it, there are legends all about these guttural letters. And they tell me that there's something profound and spiritual that happens when we allow pause and breath and white spaces to go in between our words. Each of those five guttural letters in Hebrew has a legend. I won't tell you all of them. But there's, this, there's a fable-like story attached to each of the letters. And they help us understand how pauses and breaths shape human beings, shape who we are. So we know He creates heaven and the soul. Aleph represents humility. So Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew language, and as the story goes, all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet come before God to offer reasons why they think they should be the first letter of the Ten Commandments. All of them come, everyone except Aleph. And so God seeks Aleph out. Aleph, why didn't you show up? And Aleph explains, well, I'm a silent letter, so I had nothing to say. And so God chooses Aleph to be the first of all letters in the alphabet and especially honored as the letter, the first letter of the first word of the Ten Commandments because of Aleph's humility. Now... Humility is a spiritual discipline. You can't practice on your own. I actually tried doing this once with a group of students when I was teaching at Duke. And uh, I gave a group's humility as a spiritual practice. And they came back to me and said, every time I try to do it, I feel very prideful. <laughs> uh, you can't just go into your prayer closet at home and decide, today I will be humble. Uh, because that thought is already kind of prideful, right? <laughs> but you can choose to practice breathing and pausing and keeping silent when you might otherwise have spoken and see whether humility might emerge from the experience. See, pauses and breaths create room for us to listen to ourselves, to other people, to God, with receptivity and generosity and kindness. But in America, silence isn't really our cultural go-to Uh, In radio, we call silence dead air. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And as Westerners, we often think of silence as a negative thing, right? Maybe it's a, a physical lack. Nothing's happening here. I'm getting anxious. Or it's an emotional manipulation. Why are you using the silent treatment? One Swedish linguist noted in his research that the Western world has a written language bias. We prefer the sound of printed language read aloud, like my sermon today. <laughs> we prefer that over the uh, more pause-ridden rhythm of everyday speech. He writes, an ideal delivery of an utterance or text is free from pauses, from empty words, restart, structure shifts, and other errors. That's the Western world. By removing the pauses and the spaces from our speech, we lose something profound. Not just our access to humility, which I think is pretty profound, but we lose the power to create heaven. Heaven is somewhere in that pause. What if you thought of pausing your speech as an echo of the moment heaven was created. What might fill the void if you just left it blank for a while? While the psalmist tells us today that it's the loving kindness of God that will fill the whole earth. An earth born from a long pause, from a white space, the ha, of God's breath that still longs to speak heavens into existence within our souls today.